It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, game dayers. This is the Premier League podcast from Talk Sport, looking ahead to all nine, yes, just nine Premier League matches this weekend. It's a month of blockbusters. Last Christmas, Liverpool were top of the shop as the bells were ringing out for Christmas Day, and in their absence, the gap can be closed this weekend. After being frozen at home by Norwich, Leicester take their magic to the Etihad this Saturday at 5.30. Star Wars at Spurs on Sunday, as evil Lord Jose takes on his former Padawan, Super Frank, who needs a victory from the jaws of too many defeats. Also this week, after Freddy's new nightmare, Arsenal need help from a new leading man. They take on Everton in the Mikel Arteta derby, with the Toffees about to say, thanks a lotty, to Duncan. Manchester United go to Watford, Bournemouth take on Burnley, Brighton face Sheffield United, it's Newcastle Palace, Norwich Wolves and Carabao Cup semi-finalist Aston Villa against Southampton, whose gaffer has had more lives than cats. Meow. This is Game Day from TalkSport. This is Game Day, Premier League preview show. This week, joining me to impart their wisdom, the footballing version of Yoda, wonderful brain, supreme teacher, small, old, and forever in a dressing gown. Plus, he's been around the galaxy more than most. David Connolly, hello. <laughs> How long did that take you, Sam? That was incredible. Lovely oh, little opener. Thank you. Also this week, big, hairy, scruffy looking and barely understandable, the wisdom Wookiee himself, Alex Crook. Hello, how are you? I knew that was coming. How are you? Well, it could, could have been worse, couldn't it? I could have gone with Jabba. <laughs> uh, if, it, if I had to pick a character, I'd probably be an Ewok. Annoying, small and talks far too fast. Right, talking of little people making a big impact, let's get to Manchester City versus Lister. There's Vardy, Vardy through, round the keeper, Vardy tries to put it in, he doesn't succeed, he goes round the defender, puts it into the back of the net, what a goal from Jamie Vardy! To the edge of the area where it's picked up by Mendy, Mendy uh, sends the ball in towards the near post, and he gives it back to De Bruyne, and De Bruyne's ball manages to travel, an absolute age all the way through the box. Here come Leicester on the counter again, Madison releases Vardy, he has Perez to his left, Vardy might go alone, taps it to Perez, Leicester City take the lead in the 64th minute. You've just been done by your nearest rivals, got a batch of injuries, you're miles behind in the title race. But don't panic, we'll send Arsenal to the rescue. 
David Connolly, uh, this will be a much harder game, won't it, for Manchester City than last Sunday? What's the key threat that Leicester pose? Yes, it certainly will, although I've got to say, uh, they weren't at their best against Norwich at the weekend, um, Leicester. Played this diamond, which didn't work. Obviously, took Ian Acho off, and um, Norwich actually got in behind them an awful lot, in particular between sort of left side centre half um, and Ben Chilwell. It was incredible. Sean Chu and Chilwell, that gap, Norwich obviously worked on it. So they'll have to be aware here, City, because I think obviously Leicester on the counter, that's how they love to play. And, um, you know, I'm sure they'll change. He won't play a diamond, certainly not against uh, against City. I imagine he'll go back to his normal shape, as he did when he changed things around. Um, and obviously, you know, look to hit him on the counter, which I think City have kind of struggled with at times, you know, struggled against Wolves. So that might be their best plan. Although, look, that diamond just did not work against Norwich. I thought Norwich were excellent against Leicester. It does look like the perfect game for Leicester, doesn't it? Because City will come at them. They can revert to the counter-attacking philosophy that they had prior to Brendan Rodgers' uh, arrival. They aren't as much of a counter-attacking team anymore, but they still have that in their locker. And as you mentioned, City have had problems against the counter-attack, against Wolves, against Chelsea, and against Manchester United, of course, famously, a week ago. Um, who do you think makes the most impact here? And, and, and can Manchester City change their fortunes, Alex? Because they've struggled, haven't they, against counter-attacking teams? And they've struggled at home a bit as well, obviously, the Manchester United defeat, which I predicted on this pod. And against Southampton and at home. you haven't spoken about since. <laughs> and against Southampton at home as well. They stuttered really past Ralph Hasenhutl's side um, in league and cup. So maybe at the moment, City perhaps are, are more effective away from home. As you've said, Leicester not as counter-attacking as they were maybe previously, but they still move the ball from front to back very quickly. That slide rule pass between Madison uh, and James Vardy has been their go-to manoeuvre, if you like, this season. And this reminds me a bit of the game back in 2016 uh, when Leicester won the title. They went to the Etihad, I think, around about February, and everybody thought that would be the day when their title bid unravelled. Robert Huth scored twice, from what I remember, and and they never looked back from there. And I think, again, they've drawn with Norwich, and people are saying, look, this is going to be the afternoon when maybe... Manchester City reassert themselves as the nearest challengers to Liverpool because let's face it they're both playing for second place now but I think if they can copy what Manchester United did that blueprint of using Vardy's pace to hit Manchester City on the counter-attack I think so Anshu and Evans are going to be a much better defensive unit clearly than they faced at Arsenal at the weekend I think Leicester can have some joy I like the way you full named him as well like very formally James Vardy like almost as if he's about to be knighted in the New Year's <laughs> Honours lift, Sir James Vardy of Leicestershire. Um, most goals in the Premier League. He didn't score actually last weekend, but he, he had a major influence on on the game. And, and he comes up against Kevin De Bruyne, the top assist maker in the league, who has been absolutely fabulous and was instrumental in that game against Arsenal. Uh, David, uh, what sort of role do you see for him on Saturday afternoon? Well, you're right. He was incredible. Um, I haven't seen him play that often in that ten role. Which was, you know, really interesting because that shape, that four-two-three-one that, that that City employed, I think, really suited them. You know, at times when he was just off the front, De Bruyne, he was unplayable. I mean, he really was. He got between the lines brilliantly. That's kind of a little bit what Norwich did with Buendia in behind, just off the front. They got Puki, uh, you know, as that as that attacking threat. I mean, if De Bruyne can play there a little bit more often, you know, he can shoot with both feet. He invites all sorts of movement and challenges and players around him. That just allows others to get free. And I thought he was absolutely super. Don't get me wrong, Arsenal were abysmal. Um, but he was excellent. He really was. I mean, I don't know who can really hold a 
hold a torch to him as one of the best players in the league. He's got to be. I mean, he's both-footed, incredible touch, incredible vision. His finishes were phenomenal. Obviously, could have had a hat-trick barring that save from Leno. Wow, what a player. What a performance. I was reading an interesting article on this a couple of days ago, actually, and uh, they were saying that it could be a role reversal this year because last year uh, Van Dyke was most people's player of the year and Liverpool missed out on the Premier League title. It could be this year that De Bruyne maybe is going to be the player of the year, but obviously it's going to be Manchester City who don't win the title. Possibly, you never know. We haven't even got to Christmas yet. There I think could be we all know. sorts of things, that, weird things that could happen over the next couple of months. If they don't win the league, know. I'll do one of these podcasts naked before the end of the season. And nobody wants that. Um, I, I thought also last week was really funny because Manchester City went back to committing a staggering number of fouls in that game against Arsenal. I don't think any other Premier League club got anywhere near the foul count that Manchester City picked up over last weekend. It's what they did so much last season. Whenever teams went to threaten them on the break, Fernandinho would have a little tug back here or there or someone would commit some sort of dark art in order to stop the team from breaking on them. They stopped sort of doing that in the last couple of weeks. They, they wouldn't do that, would they? When Gary Neville raised it, Pep was adamant in his denial that doesn't happen at Manchester City oh it certainly happened but <laughs> I guess against Arsenal there was it's no been real happening for a long time <laughs> yeah there was no real sort of threat that Arsenal would pose anyway whereas I think against Leicester you know there certainly is you know I think obviously Madison up against Norwich maybe yeah, there was something in that in terms of against his old club he wasn't maybe quite at his usual self and you've got to say Norwich are excellent but if they perform anything like they can you know with those two getting in amongst the goals and linking up well it'll be yeah, it'll be a really good game, this one, I think. 5.30 Saturday, live on Talk Sport and around the world on Premier League Live. It is Manchester City against Leicester City. And interestingly, uh, Manchester City, who lost their last league game at the Etihad to Manchester United, haven't lost consecutive home league games since February 2016, when they played Leicester City under Manuel Pellegrini. And we will get to him a little bit later on. Mourinho versus Lampard and Tottenham have won three of their last five Premier League games against Chelsea, as many as they had in their previous 20 against them in the Premier League. Great news then that Chelsea have just had their cherry popped and come into the worst form of the season to face the one guy who knows exactly how to beat them, Jose. Um, is this going to be difficult for, for Chelsea or how difficult is it going to be, Crookie? I think Spurs will win. I've done their last two games, the 5-0 demolition of Burnley for Talk Sport, their win at Wolves, which was a very different kind of victory for Talk Sport International. I thought they ground it out against Wolves. Most teams would have lost to Wolves. Wolves were magnificent. And somehow, as is the Mourinho way, they found a way to win. They've got their mojo back. It's the perfect time to be playing Chelsea, who are in free fall. They can't defend. Uh, Azpilicueta is becoming a liability for Chelsea. I think Mourinho will be aware of that and will be able to seize on his deficiencies. The keeper doesn't convince me either. I think they're going to be in the top four by the, by the end of the game. David, Chelsea struggle to break teams down that sit deep and the evolution of the team, similar to Manchester United, is to try and find players with creativity to do that. They've got to play Reese James for me. His quality from the right is silly to turn down. There's no alternative for, for Abraham. Mount needs to play higher up. It's a blip that was, was always going to happen, I think. But I think they're a little concerned that Sarri was right last year when he talked about the mentality of the group. Because we're at the same stage as we were last season when those conversations started to come out. Have you seen that in Chelsea? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you've got to say they have struggled, I think, in terms of Champions League and Premier League. Trying to balance it all and getting that level of performance, which I think you need to beat 
sides in the Premier League, which they've kind of struggled with, as you say, breaking teams down. Now, everyone, I think, wants that sort of creative player. And Frank alluded to that after the game, didn't he? That they've struggled with teams that maybe sit a little bit deep, that they can't break down. But I thought actually Bournemouth were, were brilliant. And going forward, the other way, they offered plenty of threats. You know, they weren't just sitting in and, and just hoping, you know, for a point. They offered something else going the other way. Now, what he does against Tottenham, you saw how good Traore was up against Vertonghen. Can they isolate him if Vertonghen is going to play left back? I imagine that would be something that they would look to do. No doubt Jose will have a game plan. You know, he will not want to get beaten. Obviously, he'll want to beat his former side, Chelsea. And like Alex, I saw them at Burnley. Um, they were absolutely brilliant the likes of Son and it might suit them obviously to sit in and try and hit Chelsea on the counter because obviously Chelsea struggled to break teams down so it seems set up perfectly I just think he needs to get that right-sided one sorted who's going to play right side is it going to be for example Hudson-Odoi from the start or will it be Willian you know obviously Willian started Hudson-Odoi came on that right-sided I think is really important to, to possibly get at Jan Vertonghen I know he, look, he atoned didn't he? he got the goal but ultimately defensively I thought it was a real weak link for them that's the thing about um, Tottenham though isn't it they, they, they were quite happy to allow Wolves to have the ball in that game for a long long periods and, and, and that's going to be an issue for Chelsea if that is the case at the weekend but can Jose do that at home at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium can he be sort of almost as if he's he's quite happy for Chelsea to have the ball I don't think that he would approach the game like that do you? No I don't either if you, if you look at their away performances you were, you were there against Manchester United when they tried to do that against Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's side and it backfired obviously it worked uh, to much better effect of the weekend but at home I think he will want his side to play on the front foot and I think with that Chelsea defensive unit that, that do leak goals that do give away chances they will be confident enough to do that I mean just back to Chelsea it's a massive January isn't it with this transfer ban being lifted I think now we're really going to see just how good a manager Frank Lampard is when he's given funds to spend my understanding is that Nathan Ake back to Stamford Bridge is a very realistic possibility I think he is someone who would come in and immediately improve that team so I think we're going to know a lot more about Frank Lampard and, and what he's like in the transfer market come February the 1st but this game comes at a great time for Jose Mourinho they were 14th when he took over Incredible. this team they can go 4th on goal difference with a win this weekend yeah so I was at the Burnley game and um, talking to a few of the staff about, about Jose and it's just really interesting how he how he's even affected those, you know, peripheral sort of staff, those behind the scenes that, you know, don't really get much attention or glory. You know, a couple of them were telling me that they've been at the club for five years and Potch would always give them a handshake and, and, and say well done or whatever. But, but Jose's been in there a few weeks. He's got them all initial embossed folders, you know, to keep their paperwork, their Tottenham paperwork in. And suddenly they just feel, they feel 10 feet tall. And I think that's the impact he can have, not only on the, on the players, on the team, but as a club as a whole. And at the minute, obviously it's going really really well that man management is you know I know he's had problems at other clubs with, with certain egos and players but I think as a whole club and organisation you know he seems to get getting Tottenham in the right direction so are we suggesting that he learned from Jolly Ollie by you know the old uh, Norwegian chocolate for Kath on the front desk at the Carrington training ground by going around to actually popping into Staples, getting a group discount on a load of embossed <laughs> folders and giving them out to all his staff? On that, uh, Luke Shaw has given all the staff at Carrington hampers for Christmas. It, it's incredible that he's not eating most of the food himself, but that's very generous. <laughs> To be honest with you, you making a joke about somebody else's weight leaves me speechless. <laughs> um, right, the number of car park attendants have been doubled at the Vitality Stadium for the visit of Burnley, who played, yes, this actually happened, 142 long balls last week against Newcastle. Wow. Here's Tom Rennie. 
After that surprising and much-needed win over Chelsea at Stamford Bridge last week, which ended a five-match losing streak, Bournemouth are in search of their first back-to-back win since September. Eddie Howe, long touted as the next big thing in management, has suffered some reputational damage in recent times, and rumours about his future won't go away. If he is to leave, then where that is depends on how this season goes, and his task hasn't been made any easier in recent times by the ever-growing injury list, which still includes Nathan Ake, David Brooks and Charlie Daniels, though there is some hope Callum Wilson could make this one. Burnley were the destination the last time Howe left Bournemouth and his replacement Sean Dyche is still there. The Clarets continue to pick up points despite being unfancied in every game they play and in Chris Wood they have one of the league's top marksmen, especially in the air. The New Zealander has 10 headed goals since the start of last season, a league high, including the winner against Newcastle last time out. Live at 12.30 on Saturday on Game Day on TalkSport and across the world on Premier League Live is Everton against Arsenal. Only the Lord himself knows who will be in the dugout come lunchtime, but whoever is in charge of Arsenal, and at the time of recording it looks like Arteta, uh, they have a massive job on their hands. The perpetual defensive issues, the extreme lack of botheredness. This is how uninterested Arsenal appeared to be last week. Here is the pass completion rate for these Manchester City players. Nicholas Otamendi, 97%. Ilkay Gundogan, 96%. Bernardo Silva, 96%. Rodrigo, 94%. Gabriel Jesus, 92%. Raheem Sterling, 91%. Carl Walker, 91%. Yes, exemplary in possession for Manchester City. But what on earth does that tell you about Arsenal, David Conley? Well, they were atrocious. Um, let's be honest, this could have been... It could have been anything. They just took their foot off the gas. Almost, I don't know, felt a bit of sympathy for them, I think, in the second half. Look, they've got massive problems, as we know. Ironically, though, I thought this would be a game between two caretaker coaches, but it could obviously be between two new permanent managers. We'll just have to wait and see and how that will affect things. But certainly Arsenal are in a real downward trajectory. They need to act pretty soon, at least under big dunk. Everton has shown, you know, some life. They really have a bit of character, a bit of personality, a bit of tempo, a bit of aggression, all those things that... You don't really see in an Arsenal performance. I mean, there was powder puff. It was it was awful. And we've seen so many of those performances. It was hard to find a way that they could keep City out. But when you see them defending, you know, Pepe just allowing Fernandinho to come inside. You know, Jesus running in behind Chambers. You know, where do you start? It was an awful performance. Uh, so we don't think anymore that they're on the verge of something special. Uh, Is that fair to, yes, to you say? Can, yeah, we can... We can keep going, can't we, every week for this. Till the new year? Should we give it till the new year? For about the next five years. No, 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 no. We will not be giving up that particular gem. Um, It it, it is startling. What's in the in-tray for whoever it is who takes over as the new Arsenal boss? But also, another thing is, is at the end of the game, if you saw Freddie go and talk to Pep, and he, he had a beaming smile on his face. He just uh, looked, I noticed that. He just looked happy to be there. And I just thought Pep would not be smiling and, and you know, wanting to share a laugh and a joke if he'd got beat 3-0 when it could have been 6-0. It was, I just thought that was incredible. 100%. I was watching that with my wife, who's a mad Arsenal fan, and I said, if I was you, I would be furious. He's laughing and joking. His team have just been battered, embarrassed, humiliating. He hasn't got a care in the world absolutely incredible I mean and the insolence on Ozil coming off with his gloves and booting them away it was you know taking the slow the slow clap to come off a bit like Xhaka where do you start I mean it's in disarray let's be frank the club's in disarray at this moment 
It is, and I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the, one of the big problems for me was the fact that the overarching leadership at the club is in disarray as well, and mm -hmm. as a result of that, I mean, the idea of a recruitment process taking as long as it has, and them discussing five different interviews with 15 candidates from across the, the globe to try and work out who's next, I mean, that just smacks of a lack of leadership to me, and that's what Arsenal have been missing on the field, in the dugout, and obviously now in the boardroom as well. And are you telling me that when they fired Unai Emery it was to bring in Mikel Arteta absolutely no chance was that their aim and I can't get my head around this there are two clubs without managers one of them is statistically the third most successful club in the history of English football they're supposed to be one of the big clubs in Europe the other is Everton Everton it looks like it and it will probably be done and dusted before they play at the weekend are going to get Carlo Ancelotti a serial winner someone who's won trophies pretty much everywhere he's managed. The other are going to get someone who is unproven as a manager. He might be a good coach. I'm not sure he does much coaching at Manchester City because Pep is very hands-on. Basically, Arteta is getting this job because he's Pep's mate and because he's played for Arsenal. That, for me, is a recipe for disaster. And I think it shows a lack of ambition, as you say, Sam, a lack of leadership. They've not gone all guns blazing for Carlo Ancelotti. As a club that is, obviously, as you've already mentioned, so esteemed in tradition and prestige and has got so many trophies, got a huge fan base across the world and across the country even. I mean, it's got a massive, great big stadium, a brilliant training complex. It had a legacy that was left by Arsene Wenger, who now is looking more and more like a genius as months go on. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that they didn't have a plan in place. I mean, everyone seems to say that Manchester City have already identified that Brendan Rodgers is going to be their next manager after Pep Guardiola. Leaves. That, that, that idea of thinking about who is going to be the successor is at the forefront of, the, of their mind already. Maybe that's because that's something that's going to happen very soon. Maybe it's because uh, they're just very good at planning into the future. But the idea that you wouldn't have a clue who you were going to appoint in the middle of a season when you're struggling to get into the European places and playing as badly as they are, it's, it's lunacy, isn't it? But also, there's only one man still on the Arsenal board who... who actually made the appointment of Unai Emery and that's Raul Sonelli that's it the other two are now gone so in terms of the the whole club you know if you look at last January this has been going on for a while they could only make loan signings you remember it was Denis Suarez that's all they brought in you look at the substitution the other day with Saka even with 12 men they wouldn't have kept City out but instead they carried on because they didn't have Saka ready you know, they carried on with 10 and then conceded. I mean, everything about them from the substitutions to possible manager to possible signings. I mean, how are, gonna, how are they going to have their structure sorted out? And you're right. I know City, for example, Man City, have got Giovanni van Bronckhorst in and he's going around their City group. They eye him, not necessarily as the next Manchester City manager, but a manager in their City group. So they're already doing that succession planning. I just can't see that with Arsenal. But you could say that for years. That hasn't happened for years. Even when Arsene Wenger was there, he didn't want to hand the reins over to someone or they didn't want to groom someone coming from within. Instead, what well, it might be Mikel Arteta who was there. Obviously, he has been a number two. And that's very difficult. I think Sir Alex, when he was United manager, did he recommend... David Moyes, I'm yeah. sure. And that's, the, the, I guess, the issue. If you've got Pep recommending somebody, obviously he's going to say he's, he's amazing, but how do you really know what he's like as a manager? It's very difficult. I was at Manchester United against Everton on Sunday. I'll be honest, I thought Everton were pretty basic, really, but they were effective. United had a couple of really good chances. Lingard should have scored after 14 seconds. Rashford should have scored uh, in that first half as well. Everton didn't really trouble Manchester United until David De Gea had an absolute meltdown. We'll discuss 
that later on. Uh, but they have got a bit more spirit about them, certainly. Um, have they got the resources to mount a European challenge under Carlo Ancelotti, do you think, very quickly, Alex? Well, the most surprising thing for me about this deal, if one of the papers is to be believed, is that there's a massive bonus for Carlo Ancelotti if he keeps Everton up. Any of us three could go in there and keep Everton up. They're not going to go down. Um, so that's that's free money. Can they mount a European push this season? Maybe. Um, I think that last Europa League spot is probably it's up tighter, for grabs. it's isn't it? Yeah. That, pre- that, Premier League, that Premier League table is still very, very tight, despite the fact that they are towards the bottom of it. I think Angelotti, you've got to remember as well, He brought it's Christmas time. He brought in the Christmas tree formation at AC Milan, didn't he? And got the best out of them. Who knows? I mean, look, he's an astute tactician. The thing is, though, is he suited to that football club? You know, I know people, when he was at Chelsea... You know, they could have newspapers in the in the fissure room. They could have TVs. And each he's he's a sort of man's man. He's a player's manager. I don't think he would suit Arsenal. You know, because I think they've got a little bit of that at this moment in time. But but maybe I agree with that. There, there's maybe he might suit Everton. I, I think it'd certainly be a coup. But I'd love to see that passion that Big Dunker's brought into that side to stay in it. Well, they're going to keep him, aren't they? He's going to yeah. be part of the coaching staff. So he'll be the assistant. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Right to the Hornets' nest. Janmark with the cross. That's going to be a goal for Watford. They've taken the lead in the most unexpected circumstances and Spurs are a goal down at home. Watford have a penalty and they have a lifeline. And here's a chance for Watford to restore a chance. Here is an opportunity for Watford to restore their chances. De La Feo scores! That was poor from Rodri. Back to Martial from James. Squeezes in at the near post. Anthony Martial. And it's 2-0 to Manchester United. And on a day of heavyweight contest, the champs have been hit with an absolute haymaker. Lots of buzzing around for Nigel Pearson's team last week, but more misses than Henry VIII. Um, with greater sting, it really could have been an uncomfortable day for, for Liverpool. What will Watford do against Manchester United, David Connolly? Well, you know what? They did make it difficult. And um, I thought they put in a really good performance. I thought Nigel had an impact. I think he took on the, the sort of um, performance that Hayden Mullins got out of them against Crystal Palace. He's brought in Craig Shakespeare, which I think is a really good appointment. He's a real players coach. You know, He'll get on with everyone. He'll bring them confidence and he'll work... 
really good behind the scenes. Um, but they need to take their chances. Now, they conceded that first goal. If you look back at it, a player like Delafoe, these little things count. In swinging delivery, didn't beat the first man. They're on the counter, they score. And then it's so difficult for them to come back from that. And the opportunities they had, they carved out quite a few against Liverpool. And really, now it's five, become, yeah, Five golden yeah. chances. And I've never seen Dukure, Ismail Isar misses like it it was unbelievable well, I mean someone said to me how many shots on target did they have I said don't worry about shots on target how many times did they actually instead of hitting the target hit the ball yeah. when they had an opportunity in but front that's of been goal. the I mean, story it was a, yeah. it was a I mean, what do you do to those what, what, what do you do in those situations because finishing is not something that is necessarily you can you can teach and improve over a couple of weeks it's instinct it's learnt behaviour it's honed over the years uh, do you just have to accept that these players aren't good enough to put the ball in the back of the net they've scored nine goals all season well I think that some of the chances if you look at I mean Will Hughes said he he sort of you know panicked a little bit so he got his shot off and it wasn't a clean strike but some of the other finishes even going back previous games against Sheffield United they've had an awful lot of 1v1s up against a goalkeeper. Delefeo again, but just when he was about to pull the trigger, Alexander-Arnold gave him a little push. Just things aren't quite going their way, and I don't know whether they'll need to work on their finishing for certain situations, for example, being a bit deeper, one-on-ones with a goalkeeper, but something needs to change. But look, it was a much-improved performance, I think, and it gives them a little bit of hope going into this one. History is against them. Um, Watford, nine points from 17 games each of the nine previous teams to accumulate nine points or fewer at this stage of a season in the Premier League have been relegated. And if you can't put the ball in the back of the net, that's a recipe for disaster. But it does worry me as a Manchester United follower, uh, first proper home game for Nigel Pearce and the fact they played so well against Liverpool. Where, where are we? Where are we this week? Uh, well, it wasn't, the Oli meter? It wasn't, are we in or are we out? It wasn't, we? it wasn't great against Everton, but it's seven points out of a possible nine from a, a difficult run of fixtures. You would have taken that. David De Gea hasn't kept a clean sheet in the Premier League for 12 matches. I blame Lindelof for that goal of the week. I don't know what he was doing. Is you know facing the wrong way. His feet weren't sorted out. But De Gea didn't help his centre back, as you correctly pointed out on our WhatsApp group. That again was lively. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You blame Lindelof for David De Gea coming out at the near post and getting nowhere near a, a corner. Well, that was shocking from the goalkeeper. But what's the what's the centre half doing facing the wrong way? And he can't get his feet well, sorted. He, he was expecting that his goalkeeper. Ah, well, you should anticipate who the goalkeeper was rated as mistake. one of the best in the. Well, no way! You should anticipate that one of the best goalkeepers in the world is actually going to get the ball that he has gone out to claim, shouldn't you? I think the crucial word you used he in your first sentence that. is "was one of the best goalkeepers in the world." And again, you know, I've been quite vocal on David de Gea. <laughs> he hasn't been the best goalkeeper in the world for the past two years since the World Cup with Spain when he had a disaster. wasn't great last season, and, and clearly doesn't feel this defence which is fragile with confidence and I think that could be a problem especially if Watford get balls into big Troy Deeney well absolutely I mean if your goalkeeper's going to come he's got to be a bit braver than that he was too worried about getting hurt and yes. you know if you're Watford you're just going to try and totally put the agree. ball on him get the ball into the box make them defend when you say he's big Troy Deeney I mean he's even bigger Troy Deeney isn't he at the moment <laughs> I mean he, in terms of mobility I mean Stuart Pearce was commentating with us at the at the weekend and he said wow he looks like he's carrying a few extra pounds there in a rather polite way he did go through a period didn't he where he lost a lot of weight Troy Deeney but he does look a little bit heavy again he was stretching for a ball um, that was played over the top and he could get nowhere near it 
Well, he's their best hope um, if they're going to stay up. He's, is that another Star Wars one? Is he the only hope? He's a new hope. He's a new hope. Um, if they are going to stay up, but Help as you say, you are the only hope. <laughs> he's not in. He's not in the peak of physical fitness, but I still think he has the attributes to to, to trouble Lindelof in particular. We've we've said that before. I remember at Southampton when I picked out before the game that Lindelof will be United's weak link. He gets beaten in the air by Yannick Vestergaard. I think he has the capability to be bullied by Troy Deeney and I, I think this is a game that United need to play on the front foot they need to take it to Watford first goal is vital if United score it Watford bottom of the league could capitulate if Watford get the first goal and they've got something to cling on to could be a tricky afternoon Right to the seaside and Brighton take on the best team in Yorkshire Brighton are building a reputation as one of the best footballing sides in the league and are unbeaten in three including that trip to the Emirates Neil Mopé has hit Form 2, scoring in all three of those games, giving the Seagulls goal-scoring threat to add to their control of possession. Sheffield United are also in good form with just one loss in ten. They're one of the league's best on the road, where they're unbeaten all season. John Fleck was the unlikely hero last time out, scoring twice, to add to the goals of Lundstrom and Bulldog this campaign. The threat from the Blades comes from all over. You might not think it to look at this game on paper, but this will be one of the weekend's most attractive matches to watch. It's time for the Dream Team section of the programme, and Andrew Butler is here. Hello. Hello, Sam. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. We're going to start with Newcastle versus Palace, uh, and should Steve Bruce select Joe Linton? Or maybe a Christmas carol. Oh, talking of Christmas carols, uh, how was your little sing-along the other week? Um, it was good, thank you. I um, uh, It's unknown to, to many people, um, many listeners probably, but I sing in a choir. And so around this time of year, oh, you a do. big carol service, is uh, that's like our cup final. And that is the closest to a cup final I'll ever get to as well. Did you turn up in a suit and on a coach? It was a suit. Uh, well, we were in a suit. It was only over the road in Southwark Cathedral that we had to sing. So um, nice. didn't, didn't, didn't get a coach there. Um, didn't need to. Um, but uh, but it went well. Thank you, Sam. Well, funnily enough, uh, almost uh, like match of the day, we've clipped up the highlights of your performance <laughs> uh, and, and we'll review it. So here it is. Particularly upbeat, is it? <laughs> was that full speed, or, or or is your voice really that low? It really is that low. Although uh, now you make that point, it does sound like you know when your your tape player started uh, going on the blink a little bit, and it would start to, to yeah. get a bit slower and a bit you know more droney. That's what it sounds. Was like. Was that after a Christmas night out? Because it sounded like you'd run out of batteries. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the the main problem with that one it's uh, called Contique de Jean Racine which is, uh, of course it you is. Know, you yeah. know, I knew bit, that bringing a bit it's of my culture, most favourite bringing yeah. a bit of culture is that um, it's all in French so not only do I have to learn how to sing properly I've got to also learn how to speak French which um, you know right. is, is, is quite something it's quite downbeat isn't it I'd imagine it's Quickly. The, like the type of music Sam Hampton are playing in their dressing room at the moment <laughs> 
Well, I'll go and sing for them if they want to. Uh, let's get back to the dream team quickly before yes. we all fall asleep. Um, Newcastle versus uh, Newcastle versus Palace. Great singing, but you know, come on. Um, uh, so Andy Carroll, uh, uh, worth putting him in the team against a Crystal Palace team that uh, are very good defensively. Um, I mean, it really de- depends if you if you want, like you say, that aforementioned uh, Christmas Carroll. He actually got minus one points last week. Um, only been picked by 0.1% of teams, which is, I presume, just nostalgic picks. We get these sort of players from time to time in Dream Team where you're getting people that are picking players who were probably a bit better 10 years ago than they are they are currently. Um, but he's looked not as bad as I thought that he would. What as, a compliment. Which, uh, to come the start of the season, I think it all surprised us when, um, when, when Carroll was signed um, by Newcastle. And uh, obviously he hasn't had too many minutes so far this season, but he has looked lively. How many points has Martin Kelly got last week? He got zero, which um, which meant that uh, Wilfred Zaha took, I think, his rightful place, uh, uh, regaining the top spot as the top point scorer for Crystal Palace on Dream Team this season. He's up to uh, 56 points. Martin Kelly has uh, 55. Um, Zaha kind of really pulled, um, pulled Palace through against Brighton. I think he's probably... I was trying to think about this earlier. The, possibly the most important individual in the team in the Premier League. Maybe Pukki for Norwich. Maybe Aubameyang for, for Arsenal. But if you look at everything that, that Zaha does for Palace time and time again, how many points does uh, does he just single-handedly earn Palace is, is remarkable. Well, he's coming into form, isn't he, now? Just around, the- around this sort of time, January, might be, the, might be the time finally he makes that move. I don't know. Where would he go? Chelsea? Possibly. Mm, interesting. Milivojevic not getting as many penalties this year. Um, is, is there sort of any reason for that? Have you sort of noticed any sort of patterns there? Because he, he, he's usually by now further up the charts, isn't he? Yeah, it's interesting with Milivojevic because um, he, uh, we, we actually thought at the start of the season that because of the introduction of VAR... Palace would probably get more penalties because you looked at the amount of times that Zaha was getting fouled in the box last season that that weren't given or were questionable, you know, on the line decisions. And you think as soon as he um, gets fouled in the penalty area, uh, Milhojevic kind of steps up and, uh, and and dispatches it. But Palace just haven't really been getting those those penalties this season as, as we have seen in, in recent years. So um, it's quite surprising. He's only on twenty two points. Um, he was actually picked by by far more people than the 0.9% of teams um, at the start of the season. So he's actually, you know, it's plummeted the amount of teams that, that have had him in the team. And uh, and his prices also dropped to, to 2.8 million as well over the course of the season. So um, one to avoid probably for the moment, um, unless... Uh, unless Zaha starts getting fouled, fouled again in the box. Uh, Wolves have won only two of their last 17 away Premier League games against teams starting the day in the relegation zone. Should we be thinking about another Canary surprise and start flooding our team with Norwich City players, do you think? Uh, well, probably there's only one that you want to be looking at. I think the Pookie party is back on. Um, it looks... Uh, <laughs> He looks back to his best in, in the last couple of weeks. Um, he's really the only Norwich player, it sounds quite obvious, that, that is worth any any sort of um, getting in your team because he's got 80 points. The next most is uh, is Buendia with, with 43. Todd Cantwell's got 40. I mean, they're not going to score you massive points, Norwich, over the course of the season, but Timu Puki is probably the only one that you want to be looking at. Um, you know, they've... He, Pookie is the only player picked by more than 1% of teams on Dream Team um, over the course of the season so I mean really for Norwich it is, it's Pookie or nothing I'd what advise you- against any Norwich defenders because I did the Wolves game against Spurs 
four Tottenham players, was it, who got booked for fouls on Troyer? I think 18 players in the Premier League have now been shown a yellow card just for fouling Troyore this season. 24. Is it as many as that? Wow. As many as that. Yeah. And, and the Canaries have considered 40 goals in their last 17 top flight home games, as many as they had in their previous 40 at Carrow Road. So I back you up there. No Carrow Road-based defenders. Okay, interesting. Cheers, Andrew. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sam. Cheers. Do you want to sing us out? <laughs> no, we won't do that. <laughs> Aston Villa thrashed the Liverpool kids on Tuesday night, although everyone is being particularly nice about it, and quite rightly too. I think that it's probably left the whole debate over the EFL Cup and the Club World Cup parked and to be had at a later date. But what awaits uh, Aston Villa when Southampton turn up? A, a team who I think are destined for the championship. Um I'm feeling very depressed about Southampton at this moment in time as someone who's covered their highs and lows for a number of years now. The way that that club has been mismanaged uh, going back to 2016 when Ronald Koeman left for Everton is nothing short of appalling. There's some quotes from Ryan Bertrand in the local media this week basically saying they've suffered a Koeman hangover. They've never recovered from his departure. And I think he's absolutely right. But if you look at the list of players that have left the door since then, um, and even before, actually, Koeman did a remarkable job because they were already selling the family silver, but they've lost Van Dyke, Mane, Lalana, Shaw. The, the list is endless. And if you're telling me that the best they could do to replace Virgil van Dyke, arguably the number one defender in the world at this stage, is Jack Stevens and Jan Bednarek, you are taking the proverbial, to be, to be completely honest. I know maybe you have a different view to me, Sam, on this, but I feel really sorry for Ralph Hasen, who I think he's a decent manager with a rubbish squad, a toxic dressing room, and I can't see any way that they are going to stay in the Premier League because the last two seasons, they've been saved by South Wales. They've been saved by Swansea and Cardiff. They're going to have to save themselves this season and they aren't good enough to do it. I, I don't disagree with you, actually. I haven't got a, a, a particular urge to see Ralph Hasenhutl being re- relieved of his duties. And the reason for that is pretty simple, really. Uh, I get the feeling with Southampton, whoever you put in charge, the players will react for the first six weeks to three months. Then they'll moan about him again. And then they'll try and get him the sack. Agreed. The problems for me lie much deeper than the uh, the manager and, 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 and the situation at dugout. As you've already mentioned, the ownership issue is is massive. The fact they've got no money to replace an incredible amount of talent that has exited that dressing room over the last few years certainly is going to be a massive, a massive problem for whoever ends up taking the job. I do feel sorry for Ralph Harsentutel, but I do think he should get out of there because he is not going to gain anything by staying with Southampton. It is a mess. There is no money in January, as you've already mentioned. And any money that they have got, I'm sure, won't be enough to bring in the sort of quality that they need to turn around their season. And they're always seemingly two steps forward, one step back. Uh, or, or one step forward, two steps back, probably more likely. Um, so I think they're in a real bad situation. Uh, Defence is, is an issue. They haven't kept a clean sheet in any of their last 12 Premier League games. No side is currently on a longer run without one in the in the competition. Um, and they come up against a team, Aston Villa, who, on their day, can beat anyone. Yes, I mean, I'm with Alex and, and you know on this. Obviously, I know Southampton well, and I was down there recently interviewing Shane Long. And um, look, things look rosy for a period. Obviously, got a couple of results against Norwich and, and Watford. It seemed like the manager had put a line in the sand and said, right, I'm going back to doing what I know best, this 4-2-2-2, whatever you call it, basically a 4-4-2. It's like a Burnley, but a little bit narrower. Um 
I don't know how much he involves his staff. Um, I don't know how much involvement there is from the top in terms of who's there with a real football background. You've got to remember it. Everyone that, that was kind of there when when they were going through their successful period with Koeman is it sort of left the club, really. Les Reed, Ross Wilson, I know a lot of blame has been left at Ross's door in terms of their recruitment, but actually one of their former players, Mikel Antonio, who was at Southampton when I was there, was outstanding for West Ham. What would they do if they had him? I don't know. Should they have kept hold of Charlie Austin? He's banging the goals in. Or Fraser Forster. You know, we can keep going, but ultimately, at the end of the... You know, the players have got to stand up and be counted. You can't just keep going over old ground and... Obviously, they're conceding twice as much as they're scoring. They look so vulnerable. He took Redmond off at half-time. Now, Nathan Redmond will be a powerful person in that dressing room. You but know. his performances <clears throat> have been appalling. Exactly. So if you've got someone who's a powerful presence in that dressing room, whose appearances have been you know, dreadful, who's not pulling his weight in terms of you need those players to stand up and be counted and he's been dragged off at half-time, you can imagine. I mean, even Shane Long told me that you know, when they name the squad, they all go in in their tracksuits and, and it's the walk of shame. When, when you go home so I think Ralph is, is pretty ruthless you know he puts that squad up and if you're not in it you know, you're all dressed to travel and, and you just go back home and say oh turn up at home and the well, wife opens the door that, that and, and you there you are that gives you the impression that he's not entirely he's not entirely happy with the way oh, things are either he's no, not he can't be, be happy. like that it, you know absolutely look they're not they're not his players he will want you know to bring in his own men his own players and you know where would they be without Danny Ings he hit the bar he was really unlucky against West Ham obviously he scored goals for fun but without his goals they'd be they'd be cut adrift make no mistake they're so reliant on him actually you know getting an opportunity and taking it they've got three players who start regularly who won't be there definitely next season Cedric has already said he's leaving his contract is up Pierre and Hoybier the captain is not signing a new deal and, and, and Shane Long who in fairness to himself said a while back that he hasn't done enough to earn a new, new deal but how can a team who are fighting relegation rely on three players who are already planning for their next move again it's just shoddy from top to bottom it's interesting that you, you point to the um, departure of Ronald Koeman as the start of the issues but in terms of a recruitment issue that there seemed to be a sort of issue that has been sort of spiralling out of control in terms of what's been going on behind the scenes ever since his departure. Then you had Puel, then you had Pellegrino, then you had um, Mark Hughes, and it's just been getting worse and worse and worse. And it's not even as if there's a lot of players that have come in and they're all from different managers. It's more like every single player that has been brought in hasn't belonged to a manager and therefore doesn't fit anyone's particular system. So whoever has been the overarching voice in terms of bringing players in certainly has questions to answer, don't they? Absolutely. They got lucky with Ronald Koeman because he brought with him Dusan Tadic and Graziano Pella, who immediately from their time in Holland formed this incredible understanding and that allowed them to continue to strive even when other players were going out the door. Les Reed was quick to claim credit for those two players. No chance did you already have those players on your radar. Ronald Koeman had come from the Dutch League, he'd seen what Pella and Tadic had done in Holland and he brought them with him. Les Reed was quick to try and claim credit at that time, but for every signing since when he was there, he went very, very quiet. As you say, the recruitment, the recruitment has been appalling. The recruitment of managers since Koeman left has been poor. They brought in Claude, Pu- Claude, Pu- they brought in Claude Puel. They finished eighth in the league and took him to a League Cup final. That wasn't good enough. Then they brought in Pellegrino. He, he was patently out of his depth. Then Mark Hughes came in as a firefighter. And now we're on to Hasenhutl. But all four of those managers have had very different philosophies. So every time they've come in, the whole direction of the club has had to change. And again, that shows that at ballroom level, they've got no clue where their future is heading. 
Okay, well, one plus point is that Aston Villa are winless in their last five Premier League meetings with Southampton. I must say, I think Dean Smith has done a very good job, but they look to me themselves like a team that needs a really good Christmas and New Year. Otherwise, they too could be struggling to keep afloat. Right, it's time for the commentator's curse. You know how it works, the commentator's curse. We put the mockers on someone with a uh, barrage of statistics, which suggests that everything will go very well for them, only for things probably to turn this weekend. Uh, let's start with David Connolly, because he's always well-researched in this department. David, what have you got for us? Well, just following on from the Southampton story, um, it's all doom and gloom, but maybe not if they can get Danny Ings back amongst the goals. Obviously, he didn't score at the, at the weekend. However... Saints' last 13 goals have been scored by Englishmen. Danny Ings is on absolute fire. So I'm going to say that my commentator curse will be that Danny Ings will score this weekend. That's a great stat. Where did you pluck that from? You. (laughs) God, you've you've obviously been in the library going through the books there. Um, uh, Wookie, what have you got for us? Crookie the Wookie. Um, My one involves the game between Chelsea and Tottenham. This is remarkable, I think. Uh, Harry Kane and Son... In their last 106 starts, they've scored between them 137 goals. Well, where do you get that one from? Me. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not from you. Uh, This is not so much of a commentator's curse, but more of a curse of a very different kind. Colleen Rooney was no (laughs) doubt very, very upset after playing detective for months on end, only, as she thought, to discover that she had been betrayed by her friend and confidant, Rebecca Vardy. I imagine she wanted a little bit of revenge. But her actions have had unintended consequences. Before the big whodunit reveal on Instagram on October the 9th, Jamie Vardy had had a very slow start to this season. Five goals in nine games, only scoring against Newcastle, Bournemouth and Sheffield United. Since the big Ferrari, he only seems to have been spurred on to greater things. Eleven goals in just nine games since. Now, many thought that the Roonies might be off the Vardy's Christmas list. Well, I disagree. I could very well imagine Rebecca sending an Instagram post of the present that Jamie Vardy has bought her uh, for Christmas with his big fat goal bonus and tagging Colleen in it. Now, we do need another instalment of this row. Come on, the first, the first bit was brilliant. But I can see that happening. I'm lost for words. I got lost in that one. Yeah, me too. Well, it's bit. probably because you weren't listening. <laughs> How listening did you get to... lost? I just got lost and, you know. Okay, well, we will have another preview on Christmas Eve and we'll be looking ahead to all the Boxing Day games, including uh, Leicester City against uh, Liverpool. We've got all of the Boxing Day games live on Talk Sport. And remember, Game Day this weekend brings you the three live commentaries uh, this weekend, back-to-back from the Premier League, starting at Everton and finishing at Manchester City versus Leicester. Also on this feed, we've got the Game Day verdict with Laura and Adrian and Danny Kelly's record book. Have a good weekend. May the force be with you. That was a Game Day Premier League preview show, a TalkSport exclusive podcast. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 
18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 